Yeah. When the whole team pull up safe. Yeah. Let's toast to all that we've been through. Celebrate the things that ain't kill you. When the whole team pull up. Yeah. We all in, who with me is all in. No outsider, everybody all in. You guessed it, whole crowd is a guest list. I suggest you relax when Cali Native get restless. I know different cause I was shown different But the truth is I am no different We move as a unit, whole planet's the movement If y'all ain't here with us then it ain't worth doing it It's unison, Nubian, Sufian I ain't choose sides, I won't disturb the groove I know it's a mind bender Introduce you to the end of the tribalist Oh man, yes sir New album by Propaganda Unbelievably moving stuff Lyrically reflecting on this past year And just a highlight of team humanity Capacity for good Reflection of evil But man, love and good is going to conquer It's just some good It's it's tears in your eyes sort of stuff Lecrae's featured in a song. Derek Miner's fingerprints are all over this thing. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Jason Petty, i.e. propaganda, outdid himself. It's all over the place. Wherever you get your music, just dropped. April the 2nd on Friday, and you gotta go check it out. When the whole team pull up. Yeah. I pull up, I put up, my hood up Pondering propaganda, manipulating medulas Breaking your stereos and your stereotypes Walk up in your kitchen, eat up all of your cereal type From Cali to Colorado, them hollows will leave you swallowing blood Cause on the east side, they don't believe in tomorrow Fellas up in the bellows, don't settle, they all real Some kill for they cut us while walking through Park Hill Trying to be Chauncey Phillips, you better go pick the pill up Probably shooting around with some shooters that want to kill us Where the air thin, hairpin triggers and gold diggers Bone chilling, and children are natural bone killers how I come from that to chillin' with socialists and republicans Reading Hebrew while I'm in Palestine with a bunch of friends Friends groups and pretend tools I've been can to Pull up on us, see what we've been into Pull up When the whole team pull up safe When the whole team pull up safe Yeah When the whole team pull up safe Yeah Let's toast to all that we've been through Celebrate the things that ain't kill you Kill you When the whole team pull up so, in this episode with Bonnie Lewis, a friend of mine, we reflect a little bit on anxiety. Kind of a kind of a funny story in there, but I had written down that I wanted to share something that I was talking to Priscilla about, and it's how with all the experience I have personally with anxiety and how I have learned to have like an awareness, like You know, when I wake up in the morning and I'm into my day and I start thinking, oh, my gosh, my job is just completely overwhelming. I'm failing as a father. I have way too much stuff going on and it's going to destroy me. I'm not as healthy as I need to be. Oh, my gosh, I think this person's upset with me. I can usually take a deep breath and be like, you know what? I've got on some skewed life glasses right now called anxiety. And I know at the end of the day, everything is not as bad or as high pressured as it feels. And it's going to be okay. It's going to pass. I can usually do that. But I'm telling you, there are times when I am still tricked by this 
bastard we call anxiety. I'm still tricked. Like there are times when I actually forget and I'm actually persuaded and tricked and convinced that, yes, things are falling apart. It's not often, but man, after all these years, you would think that it wouldn't happen anymore. Now, I'm super happy that I do have typically an awareness. In fact, my therapist told me scientifically what's happening is at the end of the day, I'm not getting enough air. So I can usually take some deep breaths, kind of get away from things for a little bit, maybe do some exercising. But it is crazy. It's crazy how tricky that thing can be. It really is. It really is. I was talking to my dad the other day. And there's something about finding out an occurrence in your father or mother's childhood where you hear for the first time after all these years. I mean, my dad's in his 70s, and I've heard this story for the first time, and I'm thinking, that affected you, man. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Listen to what he told me. So, anyway, I just got uh, my, well, our family just got a dog. I've never owned a dog before. Never, ever had a dog. And I'll say that I'm going to eventually love this thing. Like, I already think she's adorable. I enjoy her company. I like this dog. I don't admit to loving an animal, though, until I know that I'm I'm really loving an animal. And I don't love her yet. I love my cats. I don't love Suki yet, though. But here's what I'm discovering. As much as I like this dog and enjoy this dog, happy we have this dog, I know I'm not a dog person. So everywhere I take this puppy, take this puppy to work, take this puppy to restaurants, take this puppy on errands, and people are losing their minds like a server literally sat down by this puppy. She should have been working and said, I just have to spend time with this puppy. Can I hug this puppy? What's your puppy's name? Can I touch your puppy? Can I please pet your puppy? I'm going to stop everything right now and just pay attention to your puppy. I don't want to talk to you, but I want to talk to your puppy. And I'm thinking to myself, it's just a freaking dog. And I actually don't understand what people are losing their minds about. And so I told Priscilla, I was like, I think that's proof that I'm not a dog person. I think that's proof right there. I am not a dog person, but I I do like this dog. So anyway, back to my dad, the first dog he ever had. He told me when he was like five years old, so this is one of his earliest memories, he was in the backyard, the backyard I know as grandma and grandpa's backyard, and he said once in a while a bunch of dogs would congregate in the backyard, big dogs, little dogs, well his pet was a little dog, he said he watched, he watched with his own eyes a big dog, grab the neck of his little pet dog, swing it in the air, breaking its neck and killing his pets. I said, Dad, you saw that happen? He's like, yeah, yeah. I was like, that was traumatic, wasn't it? He's like, yeah, it was traumatic. He said that when his dad came home, who he didn't have the best father, God bless grandpa, But he actually told his dad, he's like, Dad, I just don't understand why you're not crying. And Grandpa was like, well, I'm upset, son, but just not crying. But golly, I can't believe I'm hearing that story for the absolute first time. 
So, Bonnie Lewis, y'all. Really fun person to talk to. An actual dear friend of mine. You guys are going to enjoy this. Hey, check the show notes. I do want to tell you, as we talked a little bit about Propaganda and his new album, I have music all through these episodes, and they're typically from one of two people. One is Derek Minor. Most of you know who he is, and he is an unbelievable music creator, has his music all over stuff, commercials, and everything like that. And so you should check out his website if you need music. And then a personal friend of mine, a local Charleston artist, Joel Hamilton, actually a little history back in the day, was in a band called Working Title. They were on the America American Pie soundtrack way back in the day. They were actually on a major label, and there's a fiasco story about all of that stuff. But Joel Hamilton is a crazy, ridiculously talented guy, and I've got a website for the band camp of Mechanical River, his solo project, but then there's also a website with him and a bunch of local Charleston artists. Super, super cool. It's like a digital platform where it looks like you're listening to vinyls, but it's kind of a neat thing. Go over there and listen to some of those songs and and maybe throw some money their way, but super. I'm kind of prideful about the music that I play on this podcast. I hope you enjoy it, but anyway, you all, I hope you had a great Easter this past weekend, and I hope you enjoy this episode. God bless you, and I love you. And I feel like you and I are the type of friends where tons of time can go by and we're face to face and it's like, good. What's up, Bonnie? Joey. Yeah, like oh, I just talked to you yesterday. But here's, I didn't. but here's what's crazy. Like I saw on social media, it sounds like you guys went through like a little house on the prairie survival sort of thing. Like I gotta hear about that. Like Yes, we did. I mean, it we sounds really like did. you guys were literally trying to keep your kids safe from like losing their lives from the cold i mean it sounded intense so like it felt like that because so we had that huge texas storm so we're in austin we had that huge texas storm and it was a leading up to it was weird because it was very icy so it was like this weird existence where it was icy but it wasn't that there was no precipitation so it was kind of odd uh but you could already tell like if this storm hits the way they say it's going to hit we're going to have a problem yeah. from the sake of we don't have any infrastructure for snow here. There's no snow plows. There's right. no, nobody's helping, you know, you get on the street. So already just, I remember that week we drove to the dentist and it was, I had to actually stop on the way to mail some Tim shells and the mailbox was frozen shut. And I was like, oh, this is bizarre. Like what is happening? So we had like, the snow started coming and we watched a movie. We had hot cocoa. We were like, this is so cozy. Happy Valentine's day. Right, right. And then at like six in the morning, the power went out and we're like, Oh, whatever. It'll be fine. And then like hours pass and hours pass. And we realized, Oh my gosh, wait, I don't think anyone has power. And so we start, we leave the house and it's totally, the roads are awful. And it was like go like it was a ghost town. Everything was shut down within a 25 mile radius. There was one Gosh. gas station open, like nobody. And that's when we started realizing, like, okay, we're a little bit 
we're in trouble. Like right. we're, You're by yourselves <laughs> in this. <laughs> yeah, like we're a little bit screwed. And I'm texting everybody and nobody that I know in Austin has any power. And so we come back to the house and now the house is cold. I mean, it's like freezing. So we're like, okay, what do we do? Because we didn't know. So by the time we went to bed that night, it was five degrees outside. Yeah. The house must have been up like below 40. It was freezing. And so we were all like, I was in bed with my daughter. My husband was in bed with our son. We all had layers and layers. I mean, but we didn't, we had no way. So that lasted for three days and three nights. That's insane. It was insane. insane. And we kept, it's one thing for one night, but three nights and three, wow. Three nights, three days. And we left the house uh, to be in the car for a bit, right? Because it was warm. And try to see, like, what is everybody doing? But then on the second day, our water was out as well. So now we don't have any running water. So we're, like, putting snow into the bathtubs and melting it just to, like, flush toilets. And then trying to get bottled water. Like, we finally, a Target opened by us. It was like the apocalypse, the no lights throughout your everyone's flashlights in the dark, like trying. It was insane. It was so bizarre. And I felt so exhausted. And I was like, all we did today was literally try to find food and water. (laughs) That was it. (laughs) So finally, on the fourth day, we got a neighborhood friend. We got a hold of her and I was just checking in on her and her, um, their therapists and her, which was perfect. I'm like, great. Can you counsel me and my children (laughs) through this moment? Um, But their office had power and water. So we stayed the night there, which is awesome. Um, So we got a like kind of a reprieve. And then the next morning, our power came back on. So on day five, the power came back on. And then the next day we got water. We were on a boil notice for a whole nother week, which, you know, means you have to boil everything before you can do anything with it. But I didn't, by that time, I didn't even care. But the amount of um, energy and mental capacity it took just to like get through, I couldn't even believe it. As soon as the boil notice was lifted, we felt like new people. We're like, yeah. oh, we can live again. It was so bizarre, I mean, Joey. I've never warm, experienced anything like stay that. Stay warm, find food, and find water. Yes, <laughs> I, mean, I was like, this is it. This is it. Was crazy. That's got to like be a crazy life perspective shift. I mean, because mm-hmm. we get bogged down. I, I get pissed when the internet goes out. <laughs> I'm like, what is taking this text message so exactly, long? <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. That's, you it know, was crazy. It was nuts. Well, but I'm we glad, glad y'all survived. Creative. I have yet to be able to like really talk super open to you or your husband, Sai, about this, but it's super, like you guys... Y'all play kind of an interesting role in my life. We we were working on a project together with with mm-hmm. Bear Groups and your husband was helping me with recording and all that stuff. And when I did that recording with you, like I was little did I know heading into like a complete mental breakdown. Mm-hmm. And I remember actually when when you guys sent me the interview to listen to it, like I was thinking to myself, ah, oh, we're probably going to have to re-record because I remember the state of mm-hmm. mind that I was in. I was like, there's no way that it could come. And come, you know, come to find, I can podcast decently if <laughs> heading towards a mental <laughs> breakdown. But here's what's so crazy is like how, you know, obviously a lot of my listeners know that this was completely different playing field than than what I've ever been through but the anxiety 
was so severe and it came in mm. such waves that I would, <laughs> I felt like a madman. I would literally text you guys and be like, sorry, I just can't work on this project anymore. Please forgive me. And then like a week or two later, hey, I think I'm up for it again. <laughs> a week or two later, hey, sorry. Yeah. I was like, yeah. I'm so sorry, Lewis. So here's my official apology. <laughs> oh my gosh, you don't even need to apologize. You know, I had known that that was happening. So it actually, in a weird way, made us feel so normal. We have both had debilitating anxiety and experienced exactly that. And um, we like to call those like, um, like a drunk dial, but like an anxiety dial. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I've never heard of that. Now I feel normal. We talk about it all the time. I'm like, remember that one time that you anxiety dialed (laughs) so-and-so? And he's like, yes, and you did. Because you have this feeling of like, right. Oh my gosh, I just like need an anchor. I want right. to reach out and grab something. Right. So it was when it was happening, I was just like, oh my gosh, we've got to just support him and surround him and know we're here no matter what, because we had, we have totally been there. Yeah. So no apology necessary. And you know, it's interesting. I've never heard that terminology, but it is helpful to have gone through something like that with anxiety because I can usually pick up on when someone is anxiety texting or calling me. I'm like, okay, yes. I know what this is. I don't say it, but I'm like, you're going to be fine probably in the next couple of days. So I'll just hear you out. (laughs) Yeah. Or you're like, you get all of a sudden get, you know, it's like this paragraph or it's like seven texts in a row. Right. (laughs) Right. Okay. Uh Right. Right. Totally. Well, hey, I'm I'm actually intrigued to have this conversation with you about Tim Shell. Oh my gosh, it was awesome to get it in the mail, and I went I went hardcover, so it's like oh, it's way to go. awesome, awesome, awesome. <laughs> and so I definitely, especially getting like the the email that you have put together and and different directions to go in a conversation and all that stuff, especially get like the uh, patriarch sort of discussion Mm -hmm. and everything. And so definitely led me to a lot of territories that I want to explore. But before that, like, how are things going? I know I've, I've checked out your podcast and, uh, just, you know, what sort of opportunities have you had? Like how, how's the Tim shell world going? Tim shell world. So it's been such a journey because when I started creating it, I mean, you and I talked right after my Kickstarter was fully funded Yep. and I, it was hilarious today when I was like, getting ready to come into the podcast, I was reminiscing on the first time we recorded. I was so, I was just like sweating and so nervous and stressed out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. And part of it was because it was you. And the other part was because I was like, what the hell am I doing? Right. Like, is this e- I still was like, I know I want to do this. Was this bad Christian even- or pastor with no answers? Do you remember? It was, it was past. Mm. I yeah, I'm not sure. Remember, I think I when we when we recorded, it, we didn't know where gotcha. it was going to go, gotcha. and then I think it ended up going on Bad Christian because then I went to the conference gotcha. because of it. Yeah, I think that's what happened. Um, but it was one of those things where I was knew I wanted to do it, but right. I also hadn't given myself full permission to do it. Gotcha. Does that mean? You know gotcha. what I mean? So you were talking out of your ass a little bit. <laughs> no, I was like, I know I can do it and I know I want to do it. But it was my that inner fundamentalist of right. like, right. are you sure? Uh, are you going to get yeah. smited? Yeah. Are you going to, you know? So um, that gave me, and that's part of my own anxiety journey of like yeah. that voice, which I've now realized is that patriarchal voice of yeah. saying you have to do it this way and follow these voices and these things and these boundaries. So 
it it has sent me on my own journey of yeah. like, oh, this is actually what I think about these things. Um, but it's been amazing. So we released it uh, like about a year ago to the public or to the backers. And then in November to the public and yeah. just basically on our Instagram page. I mean, it's like yeah. all word of mouth. It's yeah. whatever. Yeah. We've sold almost 3,000 copies, which Dang. is super exciting for just no, this that, little thing. No, that's a big deal. 3,000 copies. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, oh, look at us. That's a big deal. Um, so it's just been it's been fun. And we've had some great podcasts, met so many cool people. And yeah. I think the best part about it is so many people have said, which is has always been my hope, is like, oh, this has given me a place to land. Yeah. Um, you know, because yeah. some people they deconstruct and they're like, What do I do with the Bible? Yeah. Now what? Yeah. Um, and so to have go, oh, wait a second, here's just like a re-entry point right. and permission to do something else with it than just throw it out. Right. Um, so that's been, that's been really heartwarming for me. Yeah. So I know that you, I, I know that there, if you haven't heard it all, there's definitely, it, there's flack out there that you're not hearing and some of it that you're hearing, but imagine in the eighties and the heyday of fundamentalism, the thought of a woman writing a translation of the Bible. So people are more <laughs> comfortable. <laughs> I mean, you you would be the worst person ever. That you'd probably be nicknamed Jezebel. I mean, just <laughs> well. And what's so funny about it is, like, so many people are like, "This is not." Um. Well, it's like I hear. I don't li- like my first rule of everything is like, don't read the comments. I just like right. don't worry about right. it. <laughs> Whatever. Um. But the one thing sometimes I do hear is like a catch 22 number one like a woman shouldn't be able to translate god's word blah blah blah. i'm like okay first of all we're not thinking about you've read that before that was a comment yes it it what so it wasn't people shouldn't just regular people shouldn't trans uh write a translation it was a woman it was a woman yes and i thought good gosh funny because and and it was a woman who said that What's interesting about it is the most people that have a problem with the woman are other women, <laughs> which I didn't suspect the other, um, which, and then the other thing is like you, nobody should be translating. We just have these translations, which I think is hilarious. This idea of like, oh, our translations, they were given to us just as they are. They right. just fell from heaven. Right. <laughs> nobody ever. And I'm right. like, no, no, no. That was like a person. Right. Set. All right, totally. A word should be used here. So I think the lack of information astounds me. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's just, gosh, it's just so neat. And honestly, when I read, for example, your depiction of creation, it was mm. so neat to read yours and then to refer back to, I don't know, ESV or NIV and to kind of just see where you arrived at where you arrive looking mm. at what you were looking at. I mean, it was just, it was just cool, but I don't know. I mean, it's like, it is a different reading. Tim shell is a different experience. And I mean, that's kind of a, a given, but it just, it feels more like a cohesive story, which mm. you think about when the Bible was written, there wasn't the chapters and the verses and all of that, but it's still, you know, it wouldn't read as, as beautifully as, as you've put it, but man, it's just, uh, are you, are you considering doing more like more parts of the Bible? Yeah. So I get that question a lot. I get a question first. It's hilarious. So we wrote it so that, like you said, it kind of, it should open things up for people. They should be able to read it and say, oh, I never thought of it that way. Yeah. Um, You know, so on the one hand, I would love to do more. The risk in doing more 
is what I would hate for it to do is become another form of fundamentalism where it's like, sure. this is the new way right, to read it. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right. Because it's yep. not, it's not a new way. It's just yep. a different way. Yep. So um, sometimes I wonder, should I do the exact same 20 stories and just translate them differently to yeah. show like, yeah. oh, <laughs> like, should I do that five times <laughs> or something? Um, the other question I always get is people say, oh, will you please write a Bible study to go with this? And I'm like, first of all, I can't think of something more boring to do. And <laughs> <laughs> second of all, that would ruin the whole thing, right? Because yeah. the whole point is that I don't tell you what to think. Right. Is that you're like, wait a second, how did she do that? Or what? what is she saying there? Does the text even say that? You know, I got, <laughs> it was so funny. I got this message from this guy and it was during the Kickstarter. And he said, I just want, I'm writing to tell you that I am not going to support your Kickstarter. And I was like, okay. Well, cool, thanks for letting <laughs> me know. <laughs> yeah, like, don't care. And I was like, okay. And he said, um, I found someone had recommended it to me. So I printed off some of the, the excerpt or whatever of the, the story you gave. And then my friends and I, we sat down and we went and for a week, we studied our text and all the different translations and then Tim Shell and all this stuff. And then we ultimately decided we don't agree with you. And I just wrote him back. I was like, that's amazing because it did exactly what it was supposed to do. Yeah. <laughs> so agree or not. Right. Right. Mission accomplished. Yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, so yeah. here's here's a here's a here's a freebie. Take it or leave it. What you should do is every every couple of months you should release by an ebook one new story or passage of the Bible and sell them for like five bucks each and, and you'd make so much money, Bonnie. Because people, be, oh, people I, be all do you think over. I would? I always think like, people should I do that? It. Is it worth? I've thought about that. Just even like a story, like ah, oh, we need that one. Right, right. And then I'm like, look at me getting okay. into your business, though. Hey, this is what you should do. Here's a. <laughs> <laughs> I need someone telling but, me. I'm hey, always like, oh, that was good. Hey, it's, was it's coming from a fan of your work, though, because it would be fun to to read more stuff. So I'm curious, like, when did the when did the floor drop? And I don't even know if that's the right saying, but you said the first time we talked, you were still kind of under the whole fundamental shadow and not really knowing like was there a, a was there a moment when you felt complete freedom and I, I was reading in, in one of the descriptions of Tim Shell from your team it says something along the lines of a more meaningful understanding of the Bible mm. so I know that some people would be huh more meaningful well okay you know how can you say that <laughs> But to me, that feels like at some point, and as fellow believers, you know, here's some Christianese, at some point, there must have been like a Holy Spirit moment in which you felt, you know what, I'm doing what God wants me to do, and I feel mm -hmm. like I'm being led. Or maybe it didn't get that spiritual, but was there kind of a moment where the floor dropped and you felt complete freedom? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great question. So it was actually towards the end of it. Um it all feels really nice and good when you're doing it, right? And your your editor's writing you back and you guys are we're talking about it. And we had a psychologist on the team, so he's helping and all this stuff. And then right towards the very end, I had actually made like an appointment or whatever to go to a two-day event with a friend of mine. It was a Rob Bell two-day event, something to say in, mm -hmm. in Los Angeles. Yeah. And so I went there and it was like, you're supposed to go if you're unstuck about something or to get unstuck, you're stuck. So you go up and you, it's like totally terrifying because you're in this tiny room and then you come up to the front one by one yeah. and you tell Rob, like 
here's how I'm stuck. And he right. like helps you get unstuck, but you're also like everybody's breathing close to you. Right. <laughs> so it's very terrifying. Right. And I was especially so afraid because Rob was so f- formative in my like theological yep. journey. Yep. So I was like, this is, what are you doing? So at that event though, what was so wonderful is that I realized part of my journey was not exactly what I say in this copy, yeah. um, but how things like this change perspectives in general. So it's like not necessarily the book, but everything around the book, yeah. if that makes sense. So yeah. at that moment, when I came home, I had actually finished the writing and all I had to do was my final edit. So because of that, I felt very free that I didn't have to get it right. I felt very free that I could just go, oh, this is my perspective now. And maybe in 10 years, I would have a different one. Right. You know, and so because that combined with something Sai said to me was he said, that's my husband. And something he said was he was like, who are you writing to? Mm-hmm. Are you writing to you? Are you writing to the critics? Are you writing to? And I realized that some things in there I had written to the critics. Like, okay, I know that if I say this, they'll I'll, yeah. they'll cut uh, me yeah. some slack. Yeah. Yep. So I was able to go back and just get rid of that. Right. Like I knew exactly where it was right. and go, no, no, no. At the end of the day, I want to say, no, this is what I think it says. Right. And be free to do that. So it was in that last stage that I felt that total freedom, which was a gift because yeah. I could have could have finished it and been nervous about it or been stressed or worried. And that wasn't there. I was just excited. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. When I think of the basically mistranslations that create this is quoting your your team's promo or whatever you want to call it mistranslations that create a power structure dominated by male voices within christianity mm-hmm. so when we talk about mistranslations what do you mean by that like do you mean that there when we read the bible we're not taking into consideration the culture that we're reading which was very much so male dominated Or are we basically saying the Bible doesn't represent a super male-dominated culture? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think probably a little of both. I think at the fundamental level, there's there hasn't been a good understanding that there has been a one set of voices that that has been allowed to translate the Bible. Right. right. So since the dawn of time, even the canonization of it, and then even ongoing, you look in your translations, the ones that are mainstream. And they're mostly translated by men and more often than not white straight men. Right. So, you know, that quote, he who holds the pen holds the power, right? right. So every everybody, me and you and everybody, when we read something and then particularly when we translate it, um, we're interpreting it based on our lens. Yeah. So if you just inherently, you're going to bring a different lens than I'm going to bring. Now that's economic, that's... Um, cultural, that's gender, that's race. I mean, it's it's a whole bunch of different factors. So problems arise, I think, when we have something that's like even a sacred text, but I would say this is true for literary classics as well. Like anything that is solely dominated by the voices of one lens yeah. becomes problematic. Because yeah. what it does is it sets up this is how you view the world. This is how you view God. This is how we should interpret it and then therefore behave. So it sets up this voice that says, oh, here's what it says. And then therefore, this is how you behave. And I think that that's problematic because I spent so many years reading it and going, 
okay. And then reading, you know, Bible studies or whatever and going, but that's just not how I see it. Right. I, I can't, I understand that you're saying this is what you think, right. but I'm also a human and I think it's this, you know, so, something totally different. So in, to answer your second question, I think that the Bible's patriarchal background is sometimes largely either ignored by men because a lot of men, unfortunately, that have translated it, I would suggest probably still wouldn't say we live in this patriarchal society or even right. in church. So it's either been ignored or it's something that people aren't comfortable with. Somehow right. it's like if we say that that's true about the Bible, then we also discount everything else about it. Right. And I don't think that's true. I think it actually breathes more life into it if you tell the truth about the culture that it came from. So so then we're agreeing that the Bible does read very chauvinistic. I mean, yes, it's obvious. We are agreeing that. Right, right. <laughs> yes, yeah, because yeah. I, you know, I interviewed a... Uh, a woman on here and I really appreciated her very conservative outlook. And it was super interesting for me because she literally looked at all the, the very much so male dominated chauvinistic inclinations of of all the stories, but then kind of highlighted how, how God worked with, within that culture, which I thought was, was great, but it's interesting. It was almost like she was hesitant to, grapple with the fact that yeah but what we're reading is probably not good to just apply how we're, we're reading it you know yes i yes, mean yes. and I, I, I get yeah putting more meat to the bones with my original question too so like for example a lot of people would say well i mean gosh women can hold leadership positions but the top leadership positions i mean jesus had 12 opportunities to pick a woman and he didn't and so my question is did Jesus really identify 12 people as his, as his 12 disciples and they were all males? Or did the writers kind of look at all the people that were closely linked to Jesus? And maybe some of them are women, but they were just like, well, I mean, here's the 12 men. I mean, we can't, we're not going to list the, the women. I mean, do you think that's a possibility that Jesus didn't see 12 male disciples? What if Jesus saw... 20 disciples and a few of them were women, but the recorders, no, no way in hell they can write that one of his, you know, some of his top followers and disciples were women. Is that yes. A- no, I totally think so. I, cause I mean, everything was written so far beyond the fact, right? So we have to go, okay, not only did it happen at a certain time, it was then written down and interpreted in another time. <laughs> right. And I think even by then, like you're saying, it would have been like, we can never say that there are these women. And we see that uh, that is very evidenced in some of the lost gospels, right? There's so many that are written by women, like there's right. the gospel of Mary and different things that we see of like, oh, wait a second. That's the, the feminine voice was actually, I think, more pronounced. And we also see that with some some Jewish texts as well. Right. And so I think that's a very big possibility. And one way that I'm pretty sure this comes out, if we take the time to look at it, there was a book I read. I read a ton of books. So in the back of Tim Shaw, it says there's like 112 books listed or something like that, that I read to, to do the work. But one of them that was the most foundation for me, and I just thought, oh, it's called How to Read Literature Like a Professor. It's not a Bible book at all, yeah. uh, but it gets really deep into language. And so this is a very good example of how a male dominated world or lens translates something so differently. So we, we bring it out actually in Tim shell, but it's that story where um, Jesus and his disciples are at this dinner table. Right. And then the woman comes in and she 
you know, pours her perfume all over Jesus and then does the thing with her hair. And it's like very awkward. Um, there's a theologian and her last name is Gaffney. And she brings up the point that for a man translating it, he is going to call that woman a prostitute. Just done. <laughs> right. right? She's a prostitute. She was blah, trying blah, blah. to turn Jesus on. She- <laughs> <laughs> yes. And it's weird and sexual and all this right. stuff. So we made the point of translating it of like, okay, like it's hard to know. Was she, was she not, whatever, but going deeper into it of going, okay, well, what does that mean? And then what is she doing? And so we pull out the psychological deeper understanding of actually during that time, they, she was probably more like someone who was sex trafficked and she's not turning anyone on. She's not there to make anyone stumble, right? She's actually there because that's the love language she knows. That's right. what happens when we go through trauma. So we kind of pull that out, but that's a classic example of how we've read it. And so we have these women that are constantly coming in contact with Jesus who are trying to tempt him or tempt, ruin the disciples but that is specifically a male's lens towards it versus a woman might not read her in that same way. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. It's interesting too, because when I was reflecting on Tim shell, I thought to myself, like everybody, when we read the Bible, we're all, we're all bringing our own presuppositions and our own Mm -hmm. background. And we're all even making our own meaning out of it. I know that rubs so many people the wrong way, but we just Mm -hmm. are like, listen to the, the free, I mean, this was a big time pastor and listen to the freedom that, that he took in this story and nobody pushes back or anything. They're just like, Oh, okay. Wow. That's interesting. I did think it was interesting, but I don't think it's true. He said that when Jesus wept at, at, Mm -hmm. at Lazarus, it it didn't really have anything to do with his heart for his his dear loved ones mourning but it was actually him crying because they didn't take serious that he's the resurrection and the life and that he can raise anybody to the dead so in other words he was crying based on their lack of faith so okay. and that they didn't really believe who he said that he was i don't think that's true but that's a perfect example of an evangelical pastor who mm-hmm. said, this is how it is. Well, okay, back it up. Prove it. How can You can't. You can't prove that. And so yeah. I, I feel like anyone that would be rubbed the wrong way by your work, you're literally, you're getting meaning, but you're also doing historical research. But even if you weren't, like what if you were just reading and then writing, you're basically just writing it down. You're writing down the meaning that you're getting out of it. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's so true. So there was so much work, like I can do the languages and things like that. So there really was like on an intellectual level, but to your point, that is exactly true. Every week people go to church and just hear, Oh, he said this and we just take it and go. And I don't know if it's because it's a male preaching. I don't know if it's because, the term pastor holds like such a weight or if it's like literally even in a church building, I don't know what it is, but you're exactly right. There's this magical formula of, Oh, that voice said that. And so it's fine. But if that woman with the braids from Texas says this, we're scared of it. Right. Right. And I think that, you know what, it's a adjective that has been used to describe me that literally cracks me up every time Yeah, is dangerous, dangerous. You get that a lot. I, that's the one I get from men. This is dangerous. Wow. And I was in debt. I'm like, you've never met me. I'm wow. the least dangerous human. 
<laughs> it is funny to think of you as dangerous. <laughs> but that's the type of thing is, is I'm like, what are we, what is it that I'm putting in danger? Right. Right. Like is, is do you really think that everything that you believe or work for is going to come crumbling down because I suggested a different interpretation? Right. Right. Then, then I'm not the danger. Right. The danger is how insecure this whole thing is. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And, yeah. and I, I, you know, I, I say this kind of stuff uh, a lot and it sounds like I'm patting myself on the back, but I really do mean it. Like I, I, I have a completely different posture as a pastor that I, I'm, sh- I'm sure I'm around so many pastors. I'm sure that it's not common, but anytime I am teaching and I'm using the Bible, I put myself on the same level as everybody else saying, listen, I'm, I'm, this is kind of what I take out of this. This is mm-hmm. how I feel. And I can also speak with conviction because I really deeply feel that. But I just, mm-hmm. you think about in the grand scheme of things, I mean, I like the thought of some people having a certain level to where maybe they do have a certain level of authority, but I don't know if anybody mm-hmm. really does, like it seems mm-hmm. like a fair approach for anyone would be, this is what I'm getting. This is what I feel like the Holy Spirit is teaching mm-hmm. me. Now, obviously, there's things that we can point to in the Bible, and I think we can all agree is like historical or, uh, you know, this, of course, Jesus was meaning this, but gosh, we just, we see things so differently. It just seems like that should be the lingo that we're all saying. Instead, we just, yeah. w- there's so many people that I think just wants to be an authority. <laughs> and I think no, that's what gets I totally so agree. scary. And that- that like authority thing with the, especially with the patriarchy is so prominent. Um, as a woman growing up in the evangelical church, I was largely taught, especially because Eve, obviously totally blood related. And so I was largely taught like, like she de- was deceived. And yeah. so, so too will you, you cannot trust yourself. So even if you read this thing, you can't trust what you get out of it. Right. You have to lean on what the men in your church get out of it or what that male pastor gets out of it. Yeah. So there was a big, and that was part of Tim Shell for me, was understanding, no, 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 you do know and you can trust. Right. That, that, is, that is fine and right. that is good and healthy and you go inward actually yeah. more than you go outward. So like where the patriarchy says, you have to find your answers out here and by these voices, something like Tim Shell. Uh, produces like this more like divine feminine approach of no, no, no. The answers are actually in us that when Jesus said like, I'm in you and you're in me, we can actually believe that and take it seriously versus I'm in you kind of, but you better check, you better check with your authority on that. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, I have a lot of, obviously a lot of progressive listeners and I even try to push back a little bit just because I very much so understand I you know I I I call them my evangelical family like I understand a more conservative approach too and I think this one one thing that's important to remember is not everyone who ascribes to what you and I would see as a very patri I can't say that word what is it patriarchal Pat- patriarch Patriarchal. All right. Patriarchal. I think it's right. I can't say it right. Well, you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. But people that that take that approach, definitely not all of those men are doing it for 
the the purpose of receiving something like receiving this authority, having this right. beneficial headship, because I I would be an example of someone who I kind of felt like I had to stand by this. Like when Priscilla and I early on in our marriage, I mean, I really did feel like I'm I'm in charge, and I yeah I don't. I don't like that. It doesn't seem fair, but this is how you and I are both going to follow God because it says mm-hmm. that I'm in charge. And it wasn't something that I took advantage of, and it wasn't even something that I felt like I wanted. It was obedience. Yeah. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah. I know, it, and I, I agree with you. I don't think, and I want to assume that too. I even want to assume the best right. in our other writers and translators and people. I don't think anyone was power hungry. I'm right. sure some people are. Um, assuming the best though, it's like, I get it and I'm not mad about it. I'm not angry, but now that we know better, we have an opportunity to do better. Yeah. And so we go, okay, wait a second. There are some voices missing and yeah. it's not only women. Um, it's different. It's members of our LGBTQ family yeah. and they should deserve a voice and it's every race and every gender. And so it's, that's tough for me is that it's not just women versus men, although right. that's usually the theological argument in the church. Right. It's like, no, 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 this, there are so many voices and we miss right. out right. that we have just a, such a small perspective. You know, it got really shown, like was really made clear to me when I was in seminary, right? Yep. I, I took courses on black theology and feminist theology. And then I was like, wait, there is no masculine theology right. courses, right? right? Because there's, this is the foundation. It's white and it's male. Right. And so then everything else will say it's this type of theology instead of saying, no, no, no it's all right. welcome. And it's all, we should actually be balancing and wrestling and like ping ponging all of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I definitely want to take one very specific it's it's kind of a it's a big one and it's a it's a it's a big general umbrella also when we hear the word submission so mm. for for a casual reading of the bible and i and i just depicted where my wife and i have come from so i could be mm-hmm. wrong but my wife and i we when we explain to the kids who's in charge of this household is not dad, it's not mom, it's us. And mm-hmm. if the kids were to say, well, who's in charge out of you two, it would be, there is none, it's us. So that's where we're at. And I understand people that, that aren't there, but I will say there is a lot of very specific verses that I feel like the the only thing that I'm able to do is just basically back off and be like, well, must be cultural, must Mm -hmm. not be that simple because you and I both know there's a lot of stuff there that gives people a pretty good posture to stand on by saying the husband's in charge. Like Mm -hmm. how, how, how do you address and process that sort of thing? Cause it's, it's, it's all through new Testament. Is that, is that a main, mainly a cultural thing? I think, yeah. So I would definitely look at it mostly as cultural of like, hey, um, this is the society we bring up. We're in right now. You know, women are not valued. They're not allowed to do things. They're not taken seriously. They're also in danger, right? Like, so it's, um, so some of it I want to believe too is out of protection, right? right? Like women do not do this. You could be harmed. Right. So, um, I see a lot of that. I also then see Jesus breaking that. Like, right. no, 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 it's not male nor female. It's, 
and elevating women and, and doing different things. Um, so I, we look at it as, as cultural. The funny part is, is my friend always says to me, he's like, I am so shocked as what like a feminist you are and how you and your husband are so equal, how your household chores are really split. Right. And right. like, because they really do, uh, like, well, most of them, my husband does the laundry. I just do the cooking, yeah. but when it comes down to it, and I feel like this is actually more the spirit of the thing. Yeah. Is uh, there are certain things that I'm absolutely horrible at, right. and even if I was like demanded in equal part, they would probably fall apart if I like yeah. had my voice in there, yeah. and vice versa. So we we do a lot of things in our house based on like a who wants to do that. Like right. there's some stuff that I'm like I don't care. Like right. I do not care. Put the passwords in a binder. So if heaven forbid something happens, I can right. access that. Right. But otherwise, I don't want a thing. Or we're like no, this is something we come together on. Uh, but in terms of biblical leadership, I remember those days of feeling like, well, I have to do this. And that was a real rub for me because I also felt like, okay, but I do know more right. about X, Y, and Z, or right. I'm, I care more, right. I'm more passionate. So what do I do? So once I was able to sort of get, like we just said, the context of the, the cultural understanding of how the society was set up. And that's part of where you go, oh, no, no, yeah, it was a patriarchal society. It was set up like that. Right. Um, then I was able to go, oh, okay, well, then what's the spirit of the thing? So right. what's the message behind the message? And how is Jesus releasing that? And what, honestly, is the spirit doing now right. that's different than the spirit was doing then? Yeah. So, and and I that's how I view the Bible mostly anyway, is I, I am really big on, like, the spiritual truths of it, right? So- right what's happening here and how are these people being protected? How are they lifting each other up and then applying that, yeah. you know, to today. And it's been really good too, because um, I think just in our microcosm of our house for my kids, my kids will not grow up in a house with that understanding at all from yeah. the sheer fact that I translated part of the Bible. Right. right? right. So they're just like, right. Oh, that's normal. And so I'm happy about that. Cause I hope that they'll see a balance yeah. of like, Oh yeah. So sometimes, and sometimes mental illness would be a really good example. There have been times when I have had such concerning anxiety and depression that side did everything and right. had to, and vice versa. Right. He had debilitating anxiety. And so I had to pick up stuff. Right. So this sort of ebb and flow of it to me, if we're, if we're really stuck on making the word submission right. work, right. then I would say it's more of like a care right. and a love and it ebbs and flows right. uh, differently, no right. matter what season you're in. Right. Totally. And you know, you think about it too, and it's like, uh, taking the Bible, like even without progressive lenses at all, taking something like like submission verses and then running full speed with it it's problematic like what about the alcoholic husband that's abusive to his wife mm-hmm. i mean my yeah. gosh that never worked that verse never <laughs> worked 100% never. how we universally want to just apply scripture and yes. and that gosh i i shudder to think of the many times that women have stayed in abusive relationships because mm-hmm. they felt like it was their duty to submit they had to, to do an it. asshole and and gave men um almost a reason or a cause to be violent right. or to be right is to go well like well they said it was fine right. and then you do have leaders out there saying um women should endure that 
right. sometimes right. and women should, and it's that is problematic and that's where i think even sometimes the bible can be such an idol right yeah. is if we are placing these like very specific interpretations over what it means to love or to be human right. and to be safe towards each other that's that's a problem yep Yep. All right. So I'm going to call this last question testimony time. So okay. there's a lot of people that they've just decided, I mean, come on, the, there's there's basically women made to have sex against their will. It seems like mm-hmm. God's cool with slavery. I mean, there's women aren't respected on and on and on and on and on. Why does Bonnie Lewis trust scripture enough to invest so much time in making Tim Shell? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I actually think it was probably my distrust of the system that made me go, okay, I'm going to, it was an investigative work. I'm going to find out, is there enough here to stand on? Like, can I trust it at the end of this? That was anxiety producing. What if I write this and then I'm like, I hate everything about the Bible. (laughs) Not a Christian anymore. Thank you, God, for that one. I'm like, well, there goes that. (laughs) So um, I think for me, well, number one, I had at that Rob event, actually. So I had to get up there and I'm talking about Tim Shell. And this guy comes up to me later in the felt it was only two days, but that felt like a long time because you're really in in it. Um, and he came up to me the next day and he said to me, hey, last night I spent some time reading the excerpt. The one we had, up, I think, on the website was the Abraham and Isaac story. And he's this guy. He's like six foot five. He's like this big guy. And he's this pastor of this church. Uh, right outside of Chicago, and a bunch of the people that go to his church had been kicked out of the other big mega church in the area, whatever it was. And um, one of the things that they were always told was like, the Bible doesn't belong to you. This is for holy people and people that take it seriously and believe X, Y, Z about it. And so uh, he said to me, "You, um, I don't know what you plan on calling it, but you should definitely call it a translation because, and he starts crying. It was in the middle of the street in LA and he's crying and he's like, you're, this is going to be a door back in for people. Wow. And that made me really realize that I can still have so many questions and doubts and stuff. I don't even like about it, but embrace things that are really good. Embrace the good that it does in the world. Embrace that it does welcome people back in, including myself, right. um, into the text. But one of how we said it's not just about the book, but it's about everything around the book. And one of the things I realized about the Bible as well is these sacred texts and also classical literary texts and different documents is they have this way of connecting us to like ancient groups of people Um, And they also have this way of showing that, oh my gosh, that spiritual truth, it can be interpreted and reinterpreted and still hold true. It can still do something really good. And so that's been my experience is that even the stuff that I don't love or the stuff that I disagree with, or that's hard for me is um, there's an overwhelming sense of, oh, but this is still doing something really good. Right. You know what I mean? So um, it just feels like the whole thing's about new life. Yeah. And if we can allow ourselves to keep questioning it and holding it up to the light and rotating the gem and seeing where the light shines through, um, 
I just keep on turning new life in it and it looks different. And the way I view the Bible is not at all the way I used to, but um, I like it better and it makes more sense. And it also um, is way more life giving than it ever was. Yeah. And I would, I would theorize that, that people like you and I, and I know obviously we're, we're very different, but alike in many ways. And a lot of progressive thinkers, I would say our anchor is very likely going to be moments where we really experience God's presence. Because mm-hmm. I'll be honest, there's been times in, in this journey in the last 10 years or so, if you take that away, then I am, I am barely hanging by a thread. But there's just been times where I know this script, this holy text that I'm interacting with that I now see very differently. It, it, I'm very convinced that my creator is, is Mm -hmm. using it in some mysterious supernatural way. And and that's, Mm -hmm. that's kind of all I got, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like there's something going on in here and I don't even care if I ever figure it out. Right. Right. But I'm able to, I'm able to do it. And one of the things that brought me, um, like brought that to reality for me was when I read Roar's book on the universal Christ. It's fantastic. Um, yeah. And you can see that's really reflected. In you and I both just became non-Christians to a lot of our listeners though, just now. We're, what we're, was that? I said, you and I just became non-Christians though, to a lot of our <laughs> listeners. They're like, Oh, they read Roar. Okay. They're out. <laughs> oh, there goes that. Um, and, but one thing about that was this sort of mystic approach yeah. where, questions are allowed and the mystery of it is upheld. So I'm very entranced and excited about the mystery of the whole thing of like, I don't know why this works and I don't know why it's different. I do know that I've gotten like so much, so much feedback of, Oh my gosh, I had no idea the difference it would make when a woman translated it and to go, Oh my gosh, maybe this is a new era we have where Mm -hmm. we get other voices that will just bring it to life even more. Right. And so that is exciting to me. Maybe God's got more to teach us. Who would have ever thought of that? (laughs) We just thought that he ran out of stuff. (laughs) Let me tell you about this shorthand me and you use. It's how we decide if somebody is safe. There's talking points. That's how you know if they in the fence or outside, outside, whether you safe or not. I suggest a redo. Cause like it or not, we are all we, we are got. All we got. We are all we got. Cause when your constructs fail, your ailment feels alien. What is this air we in? How is this fair to kin? When you a shark being judged on how well you climb a tree, you might as well be a piece of kelp yelping at a blue well, helpless, toothless tiger with ruthless ire. I almost talked me out of my own desires. You try to tell them you different, made for magnificent, but those with lungs don't get the gill significance. Still standing stands a circumference of your comfort. Wanna say that? Then don't invite me to your conference. I'ma speak it to the people defeating they conquistador. Telegraphing no moves, what these blinkers for? Great grandmammy, she managed to manage you, teach you. Consider that an honor if she even stooped to speak. To you, the least of you, you would be surprised what two feet could do. One mission execute. I don't know what we meeting for. A couple L's will teach you more than any war with liquor store. You don't need a penny more than my chores. This is meant to disrupt othering. Look across the table in they eyes and see your own suffering. People, yeah. And if we all we got and all we got is this and this is just it, then let's make the best of it. I suggest a redo. All we do is see through war is beneath you. 
Which ain't finna seek in until we learn to scream I need you Need you, I suggest a redo. All we do is see through. When God finally speaks, I bet it'll be through. People. Yeah, like it or not, we are all we got. We are all we got.